Hey, good morning, everyone. We are going to show that video every week because there's something in it for you every week. And, and so watch it and just ask God, what part of that little video touches my heart? Maybe it's the guy sitting along the curb with his head in his hands and the word comfort comes up. I can identify with that one. Uh, maybe it's the, the one that says um, he's with us and or in us and the mother is tossing her baby in the air but there are little messages in that video and so be alert to those because the different places your heart will find you'll find your heart each week could be a different thing God wants to speak to you about and that's really the way God does it he speaks to us according to what's happening in our lives and you know where we're opening our hearts up but I want to ask this, how many of you were here last week to hear Sarah uh, Anderson give the first message in this series? All right, wasn't she, didn't she do great? Yeah, wow. Wow. I was really blessed by that. Now, I figure I have one hope of keeping my job, and that is that I tell better jokes than Sarah, all right? So, you know, my jokes are kind of sophisticated, actually, and I'm going to tell you one this morning that you have to really tie into. So I'm going to give you a warm-up joke first. This is one I've told in the past. If you've heard it, it's still funny, even though you know the punchline. I laugh every time I tell it. All right, so there was this old farmer, and, and by the way, I come. From, my family has a farming background. I grew up, I had a, a great uncle, Audley, who was a farmer, Audley Cochran, and he was a very smart man, intelligent, really with it, so uh, n- no offense to farmers with this joke. But there's this farmer that isn't as bright as my uncle Audley, and an insurance salesman was out trying to sell him tornado insurance, and he could not grasp what tornado insurance could be. And, and so the salesman is trying to explain it to him. And finally, he said, well, it's real, really pretty simple. He said, remember a few years ago, that old barn you had burned to the ground? Yeah, I remember that. And he said, we gave you money to build this brand new barn. And he said, well, it's the same thing, except with tornado insurance, if a tornado knocks your barn down, we'll give you money to build a new barn. And, and so the old fellow, he said, oh, okay, I get that. And he said, well, do you want the insurance? And the old guy said, no, I don't want that insurance. And the insurance man was kind of befuddled. He said, well, why not? And he said, well, heck, I don't know how to start a tornado. (laughs) Oh, I love that joke. I've told that joke 500 times. My wife has heard it about 300 of them. She's sick of it. Okay, so that was the warm-up. Now, this is a joke Tyler Brown, our, lead wor- our worship leader, told me I should tell it to you. It's short, okay? So uh, St. Peter's letting people into heaven, and they're doing a little survey. He, they they want to know who are people that get into heaven, what are the professions. And, and, of course, you know, you get into heaven because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. It has nothing to do with what profession you were, with how many good things you did, or how many bad things you did. It's all about whether you have been united with Jesus through faith. That's what gets you into heaven. But for the sake of the joke, Peter's taking this survey. And these three guys come up and he explains the survey to them. And he says, first question is this, how much money did you make in your lifetime? And the first guy says, oh, I I made about $200,000 a year. And he said, okay, that's interesting. What was your profession? He says, "I, I was a lawyer, corporate lawyer. 
And he says, well, okay, come on into heaven. Next guy says, well, how much money did you make? And uh, the guy says, oh, I made about $90,000 a year. And he said, well, what was your profession? He said, oh, I was an accountant. I was a CPA. And so St. Peter says, awesome, come on into heaven. And so the third guy, he looks at that guy and he says, and, and how much did you make roughly per year? And he thinks for a minute, and he says, about $16,000 a year. And Peter's face lit up, and he said, oh, awesome, what instrument did you play? <laughs> okay, okay. I like that one. As I said, Tyler approved that joke. <laughs> so we're in a series. This is the second message in a series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, last week, Sarah just did a a delightful, wonderful job of telling us who the Holy Spirit is. And and I particularly loved the picture uh, that she put up on the screen uh, that, that... that demonstrated kind of or or put gave us a visual to the holy holy spirit god the father and god the son as a trinity kind of dancing together that they have this this perfect unity uh, among themselves and yet they are one and and she said that we should try to picture ourselves sitting in the middle of that with the trinity dancing around us in joy just dancing over us in joy. And, and actually, I want to give that to you as an assignment for this week. Sometime when you can be alone, go off, sit alone, maybe listen, maybe listen to a worship song that you have on your, uh, on your device, sing with it, worship, and then just be quiet and just say, uh, Lord Jesus, uh, Father God, Holy Spirit, I'm here, and your word says that you dance over me. And so I'm just going to close my eyes and sit here in quiet and, and invite you to dance around me and, and just see what happens. See how God reveals himself to you when you do that, okay? But today we're going to move on. We're going to ask this question, what does the Holy Spirit do? I don't know if, um, if, if, uh, if you've thought about that, but what is the Holy Spirit's job description? If I don't know what he does, then I don't know what to expect of him in my life. And that expectation actually is faith. And and it takes understanding to have real faith. And so I need to understand what he actually does in my life. Now, we know from last week, Sarah said the Holy Spirit points to Jesus. So he does that. He reveals Jesus. He points to Jesus. And then uh, carrying through this thought on the Trinity, Jesus points to the Father. And the Father sent the Holy Spirit. And so there's this beautiful uh, work in the Trinity that each of them honor the other. And so today, this whole idea of understanding the Holy Spirit is so crucial to us living the life Jesus calls us to because the Holy Spirit is God with us. The Father made the whole plan, sent the Son. The Son came and loved us so much that he died for us. He took our sin on himself and he died for us and he rose from the dead so he's alive so that when I come into union with him through faith, and you know what that word union, the best cultural equivalent of the word union, which is in the Bible. It's a word that is used if we, if we are united with him in his crucifixion, we, we will also be united with him in his resurrection. And that word union refers to marriage. It's like a marriage. 
And when you marry someone, what is theirs becomes yours. And what is yours becomes theirs. And you enter into this union so that you are one. That, that's, that has to be why God established marriage the way he did and said the two become one because he was illustrating what his relationship was to be with us. And so if you are in union with Christ, then we need, we need to understand then, well, what does Holy Spirit have to do with that? Why do I need the Holy Spirit if I'm already in union with Jesus? And I want to show you that today. Um, just thinking about all of this, I was thinking about in my own life, when I first came to Christ, when I first accepted Jesus, it was in 1971, so I've, I've known Jesus for 46 years now, and so many things just changed automatically in my life because I, I received a new heart. Even without knowing it, I, I said, Jesus, come in, come in. And, and he gave me a new heart. And so a lot of the things I had liked before, I didn't like anymore. And some of the things I didn't like before, I did like now. And, and then there were some things that were old things that I still was confused about, and I needed help releasing those, getting, getting those out of my life. And God gave me the power to do that. I didn't understand at the time that that was really the Holy Spirit empowering me. You know, I thought of God's power, and I knew I needed God's power and life in order to change and be the person he wanted me to be, but I wasn't really conscious. And, and then when I did learn about the Holy Spirit, I didn't know how to connect with him. I really didn't. I, I, I thought that, oh, I gravitated in my thinking this direction because I didn't know how to connect with him. I, I thought, well, okay, if, if I get up really early in the morning like all godly people do, you know, like at four o'clock or so, and I was saved in the 70s, and we were all passing these books around by a guy named E.M. Bounds, all on prayer. And he talked about these old timers from two, 300 years ago that would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to pray. He didn't mention the fact they didn't have electricity then, and they all went to bed at 8 o'clock at night. But at any rate, that, that kind of like, you know, I was thinking, well, okay, I need to get up earlier. I need to pray more. I need to read the Bible more. I need to memorize more Bible verses, and I just need to be just stronger. And, and, and I thought that was how I was going to tap into the power of God, was by praying more. And I remember one week in particular, I had this fantastic week of praying, and it was good prayer. I mean, I'm praying for my family, I'm praying for the church, I'm praying for the missionaries, you know, the community. And I had been up consistently every morning that week, and I went into that Sunday thinking, oh, this is going to be powerful. This is going to be a real power Sunday because I have prayed for an hour every morning this week. And I got to tell you, that Sunday was flat. It was, it was as cold as a dead fish. <laughs> and I went away from that thinking, what the, come on, God, I did my part. <laughs> but I didn't realize I was relying on myself. That was self-effort. The idea that if I just pray more, God will give me more. That's self-effort. That's, that's, that's contrary to grace and understanding that what Jesus purchased for us, he said on the cross, it is finished at the end of the whole thing. And he meant by that everything. You have, we have already every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1, 3. 
and I don't have to earn it. Now, don't get me wrong. Praying is a good thing. Reading the Bible is a good thing. Memorizing scripture is a good thing. But if I make it a discipline that becomes a leverage point that I try to use with God, saying, all right, God, I've done my part. Now, come on, more power, more Holy Spirit. Then that is effort and works, and it is not the self-discipline the Bible talks about. It is me trying to do something, and it doesn't get me anywhere except into frustration and into feeling inadequate and wondering why I don't, why I don't experience more of God's presence. And so there's this discouragement and depression that comes. And listen, anyone that's discouraged and depressed becomes kind of hurtful in their life. You know that? If you're frustrated in life, then you are going to be frustrating to other people in life. And so for me, um, I, I, I just spent a lot of years, even in ministry, struggling with stuff like that because I didn't understand Holy Spirit comes as part of the package. <laughs> okay, when I, when I said, Jesus, come into my life, and, and, and I changed inside, it was the Holy Spirit who did that. And that, that I couldn't earn any more of the Holy Spirit by my prayer or by my righteousness or anything like that. That he, he comes because he loves us and he's given to us freely. And if I understand that, then I can yield to him. And then it's not like I have to have this harsh self-discipline. Then it is like, well, I love God. And disciplining my life, all that means then is planning it. So that, because, boy, I want to spend time with God. When can I do that? Oh, I can do that during this time frame. So I'm going to reserve that time for God because I want to be in his presence. I want to be with him. So some of you might be able to identify with this. I don't know. But uh, you know, may, maybe in your life you have uh, been wondering, you know, how do I connect with the Holy Spirit? Uh, you know, where is he? Where is Jesus? Where is God? Uh, there, maybe there's frustration. Maybe you're, you're relying on your own self-discipline. Maybe there's just a sense of inadequacy that you're experiencing. Or you just, don't, you, you just don't feel like you're connecting with God. And the way those things show up in our lives, they all have all of those negative heart attitudes, they all have manifestations in our lives of impatience. Uh, you know, I, I was, I went for years of impatience with my kids. Uh, they, they manifest maybe as addictions. Boy, I'm trying desperately to fill up this void. I've done, you know, I've done everything I can, Jesus, so I better just go to the, you know, addictions can be part of that. Or uh, j- just a sense of defeat in life that every time you turn around, there's just some other thing slamming you in life and you don't know how to get out of that life pattern. Well, what we need to understand is that the Holy Spirit is here to enable us to live like Jesus. That's what he does. And we want to look at that today. I just want to show you a few things that, that he actually does. Because if we understand his job description, then we can yield to it. I can step out of the way and say, have at it, Holy Spirit. Because as long as I stay in control then I'm playing God in my own life, and that just doesn't work, okay? So here's what he does. Look at this in John 16, 7. Jesus uh, says this, and here's an interesting thing. Most of what Jesus taught us about the Holy Spirit, he taught the night before he died, most of it. There's some other really good stuff other places, 
But most of it, he came out of the upper room discourse where he's with his apostles for the last time. He knows he's going to die the next day. And, and so he's feeding them all this information about the Holy Spirit. And, and he says in John sixteen seven, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The helper, later we see the helper is the Holy Spirit. But this helper, the word is paraclete in Greek. It, it, it comes from uh, two words, kaleo, which means to call or to summon, and then para, which means with or beside. And so the paraclete is a helper. He's someone who is called to your side to help you, to strengthen you, to give you wisdom. You know, we all need wisdom, don't we? And in a lot of respects, even though we might be older in life by years, we're all still growing spiritually. And a person could be 50 years old, but really be a baby as a Christian. You know, when I was a kid, I used to do all kinds of crazy things. And one, one time uh, we had a washing machine box. And it was, it was my job to get rid of it. And we burned our papers outside where I lived out in the country. And so I took a, a gas can. And I doused the inside of that, that box. I had it on its side, and I just, you know, just threw the gasoline all over on the inside because I wanted to see what would happen when I tossed a match in. Do you know what happens when you toss a match in? <laughs> Do you know all explosions don't go kabang? Some of them go kump. And that's the kind where it's all fire. That's the kind that kind of like singes your eyebrows and, and gives you a, an instant tan. And... <laughs> You know, I needed a helper there. I needed a counselor there to say, hey, Van, Van, not a good idea. No, if you're going to do that, stand back. I leaned right down over the box like this. <laughs> so, but, but we all have situations in life where we're, we're about, we think, oh, well, I'll just throw some gas on that fire. Yeah, that'll solve this problem. You know, the people at work that are talking about me, I'm just going to go in and I'm going to tell them exactly what I think of them. And I'm going to tell them it's an ungodly thing to gossip. And boy, I'm going to straighten this situation out by doing that. And the Holy Spirit, if we're listening, is going to be there to say, whoa, tiger, slow down. (laughs) Might not be the best approach here. So he's our counselor. And and he's, he's our helper in that you stumble. If you stumble, he's right there. He's right there. He's got his arm around. He's going to hold you up. He's going to hold you up. And the best part of the whole deal is Jesus said, he's not just beside us. He is in us. He is in us. He's inside us, changing us to make us more like Jesus. So uh, look at this verse in John 14, 26 takes this a little bit further, a little step further. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I have said to you. All right, Jesus said so much to these guys over the three, well, two and a half, three-year course of time they were with him that they didn't get. And they'd say, what, what did you say? What did you mean? And he'd explain it to them. They still didn't get it. But they remembered it. They had it in their brains. And he says, all right, all that stuff you didn't understand, you thought I was a little bit crazy, but you still followed me anyway. All that stuff, Holy Spirit, he's going to bring it to your remembrance and he's going to explain it to you. He's going to teach you what I meant. 
because you know there are different levels of understanding. There's just a flat-out intellectual understanding. I know what that sentence says. I know the words. I know the sentence structure. I can tell you what it means, but I really don't have any idea what it means. I don't have any idea the depth of, of insight that's in it or, or the depth of invitation that is in it. And the Holy Spirit takes our minds and he just opens them up. So we read the, the very same thing we've read before, or in this case for the apostles, the same thing they heard before. And now they say, wow, I get it. I get it. Have you ever heard something that you've heard the same thing over and over again? And then finally you heard it and it was like, oh, oh I see that now. I, I understand that now. That's what, that's what this is, except it's the Holy Spirit giving us insight into the spiritual realm. And so he teaches us. Now, actually, the first, thing, uh, the first point I want to make is the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. He reveals Jesus. So he, how does he reveal Jesus? Well, in John 14, 16, to kind of set this up, he, Jesus said this. He said, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper, another, another um, paraclete to be with you forever. So he's telling them, now I'm leaving. And last week, Sarah pointed out that Jesus was here, wonderful. I mean, I, I, boy, I'd love to go back and walk along those hills with him, wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be awesome to hang out with Jesus for a few days back in, back in that setting? But he's saying here... I'm going to be, I'm leaving. I can't stay. My role's finished. My job's done. But Holy Spirit's going to come. And uh, when he comes, he's going to be with you forever. He's not going to leave. He's not going to leave. And when it says another helper, the, 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 the context itself implies this, at least I infer it, that it's going to be someone to replace Jesus. Someone who's going to take Jesus' place. You know, what Jesus did for the apostles in that limited scope of space and time, the Holy Spirit is going to do for us. And when it uses the word another, it's a Greek word that means another of the same kind. There are different words. One, one, you, you, you could use a word that would mean another of a totally different kind. Like you have an automobile and then you have a horse and buggy. Two forms of tran- transportation, but really different kinds. Or you have a Chevy and a Ford, another, another of the same kind. And so he's saying here, the Holy Spirit's going to be just like me. And so when you hear that, when you realize that, then, then we really should say, well, why would I ever be hesitant to yield to the Holy Spirit? Why would I ever be afraid of the Holy Spirit? He's just like Jesus. Am I afraid of Jesus? No. Well, then I'm not going to be afraid of the Holy Spirit either because he is just like Jesus. And so he is uh, coming to fill in for Jesus, not to fill in for him, but to complete the process. It's, it's his season now, uh, the Holy Spirit's season of time. So in John 14, 18, Jesus said this, in a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. All right? In a little while, the world's not going to see me. Jesus is going to die. He's going to be resurrected. And he's going to go back to the Father. But he says, you are going to see me. 
I'm not going to be visible to the world, but you are going to see me. Well, how do we see him? Well, there is a perception, an ability to perceive in the spirit realm. There, there is an ability to see things spiritually that you, you can't see with the naked eye or, or you can't discern with just the normal human mind. It's the Holy Spirit illumining our minds. But then there's also this thing the Bible calls the eyes of our heart where we can actually see and perceive in a different way, but it is just as real and just as true as something we see with our physical eyes. And so he says, you're going to see me. Now, why is that so important? Well, because seeing him is what gives us his life. He says, because I live, you will live also. Now, how do we see him? Well, again, John 15, 26 Jesus said, the spirit, isn't it amazing how many different things Jesus taught on the Holy Spirit right before he died? He's like saying, okay, guys, this is all the essential stuff you need because I'm not going to be here soon and you need this. So he said, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, Jesus. See, that's the Holy Spirit's main job is to reveal Jesus. He bears witness of Jesus. And why is that so important? Well, it is so important because we change as we see Jesus. Second Corinthians says that we behold him and when we see his glory, then we are changed into the same image. And that's because when a person receives Christ, their heart is changed. They are given a heaven heart, a kingdom of God heart, a heart that is like the heart God wanted us to have when he created humanity. But think of it as a, a heaven heart. And so as I see Jesus's glory, I'm able to see into heaven and see Jesus's glory. What happens is that makes this heaven heart inside of me just start vibrating and going crazy. And it just releases heaven into my life. And I am changed by seeing Jesus. I'm changed by looking at Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one who enables me to perceive Jesus, to actually see him. And so it's not self-effort. It's not self-discipline. It's, it's not me finding a better methodology. You know, so many books are written on the secret of this and the secret of that. And, and if you give me $20, I'll, I'll tell you what the secret is. Well, God doesn't charge $20 for the secret. It's free, and, and he gives it to us. It is seeing Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to do that. Now, we know this because of 1 John 3, 2. It's very clear. He says, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? Because we'll see him as he is. All right, right now I see him. I don't see him perfectly, but the Holy Spirit is giving me increasing understanding and insight and vision of who Jesus is. And as that happens, my heart aligns itself with who he is. And when he returns, we will see him in perfection, and, uh, and we will just be changed instantly because we'll be seeing him perfectly. Now, this is how we change. This is how it happens. Well, I, I referred to my early days as a believer. I, I carried that over into my early days as a pastor, this whole self-effort thing. And um, somehow I developed the idea that it was my job, my main job was to confront people with truth. What that meant was point out their failures 
and tell them to get their act together. All right, you're failing here. You need to do this. Stop doing that and do this. And now, honestly, there may be times when, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, looking someone in the eye, a believer in the eye, and just say, stop it. That might be the right thing to do, okay? But for me, that was my, that was my general mode of operation in life. Tell people what to do. Stop it. Do this instead. Well, I can't do that. I've tried to do that. Well, yes, you can do that. God says you can do it. Do it. Here, memorize this verse. That's all I had. But what I was doing by that, um, I was really trying to play God in other people's lives. I was trying to control other people's spiritual growth. Uh, I viewed my success and failure in life was dependent upon whether or not they did what I told them to do. And boy, does that mess up your relationships. Let me tell you. Listen, when you try to play God, you are going to be an extremely frustrated person. And you're either going to just give up or out of frustration, you're just going to yell louder and louder at other people. And, and, and neither one of those are good. And so the, the trick is, I'm not God, okay? I'm not God. I can't change you. But, but I can love you. And in the context of that love, you know, I can, I can say, hey, this might be an area of growth that God has for you. You want to pray about that. You want to think about that. Pray about that. Because I think the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you about this. But listen, I want to tell you, this whole thing of trying to control others, it doesn't work in pastoring. It doesn't work in marriage. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but anybody here want to change their spouse? Okay, I'm not saying, are there things in their life that you'd like to see be different? That's different. You might just have a God insight into that. So you pray for them, and you love them, and you draw the best out of them, but you, you, you're not God. How many of you want to control your children? You know, the trick in child rearing is, the real problem is, when they're real little, we get the impression we can control them, because we decide what clothes they're going to wear, what time they go to bed, mostly, and, and stuff like that. And, and yet, as they grow older, we find out we can't control them, can't control them. And the key there is we do put boundaries in. I am the dad. I am the dad. And, and no, uh, I'm the dad. I'm telling you, don't do that, okay? Now, you have a choice to make. When they get to a certain age, that's what you do. But controlling backfires all the time because I become frustrated, more frustrated, and then it just ruins the relationship. It wrecks the relationship. But um, the, the thing that helped me and I think I've shifted in this. I can still fall into that controlling thing. Um, none of you have to give testimonies right now, okay? But um, the thing I think for me was really seeing what Jesus was like. I knew the stories. I had studied them, voraciously studied. But to really see it, to see the mercy he had for that woman taken in adultery that they wanted to stone to really enter into his heart for that. That takes the Holy Spirit. It's just a story otherwise. Good story. Might help some people, but to really make me more like Jesus, it takes the Holy Spirit so that I can enter into his heart. And so that he can, he, I see him and he, and he changes my heart. Now, so, so he enables us to see Jesus. Second thing is this, the Holy Spirit comforts us. Now, I'm not saying he gives us comfortable lives, 
but he comforts us in the difficulties that we face. And the whole thing with this is that he is so gracious and so merciful and loves us so much that even if I, if, even if I dig a hole for myself and I jump into that hole and I'm just living in that hole when I don't have to, he's still willing to jump down in the hole with me and comfort me and, and help me get out. He's willing to do that. Even if I've messed up royally myself, he's so gracious he will do that. He's so kind he will do that. But for me to really experience the comfort that he has for me, uh, the true comfort, I've got to be, I've got to be saying, Jesus, I want to grow to be more like you. Jesus, I want to accept your mission for the world as my mission in life. Jesus, I want to give you my time and my energy and my intelligence and all my resources, my money and all my stuff and everything is yours. And, and I want to be part of this mission that you have to reach this world with the kingdom of God. And as you're doing that, your life is not focused on yourself any longer. It's focused out there. And then when you enter into hardship, even if it's, even if it's just the hardship of, of uh, your, your kids aren't listening or work isn't going well, and, and you can't really identify it directly with advancing the kingdom, it, because you've given your life to him, it is part of advancing the kingdom, and he's going to comfort you, and part of that comfort is going to be, I have a bigger purpose in life, I don't have to get locked into this moment. And the Holy Spirit comforts our hearts, and he gives us strength, so that even when we're facing hardship and pain, even when we would say, I want to quit, You know, I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. I want to quit. Why why don't you just take me out of this place and take me straight to heaven? Well, he he doesn't do it that way. He wants us to be part of his work in the world. And so when I'm committed to that, that comfort just flows in my life and, and I can experience it. Now, Again, he'll comfort me whether I'm committed to that purpose or not. He will because he's gracious and kind and loving and, and he blesses us. But the comfort is going to be so much richer and truer when my heart is aligned with his heart and purpose in this world. Look at this, look at this story uh, in Acts. There's a story where um, we have Paul and Silas. In, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to tell you the story. I had verses in the PowerPoint, but we won't put them up right now. Um, and they, they've been preaching, and they are arrested, and they're taken in, into jail, and they're sit, they've been beaten with rods. Do you know what that would be like? They'd be like, picture a big broom and, and take the broom end off. That's it right there. That's a rod. And then picture getting beaten with that 25 or 30 times a big, strong, ugly soldier smacking you with it somewhere in your body. And, and the pain you'd be experiencing. And, and it's all unjust. I mean, if anybody ever could have slipped into bitterness and resentment and taken up a, a, a cause, a grudge, been offended, it could have been Paul and Silas because Paul's a Roman citizen. They had no right to beat him. But what do they do as they're sitting in prison? Let's, let's flip this verse up there, Acts 16.25, okay? Let's look at that. Acts 16.25. 16.25, that's the first verse. I want the second one. The next verse. Okay, okay. Okay, 16.25 says this. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. 
All right, so they're in prison unjustly, and what do they do? They're praying and worshiping. God, God gives them comfort. He's comforting them. He's giving them the ability to recognize God's in their lives. He's there with them. The Holy Spirit is there with them, and he's giving them comfort. And what happens next is the whole jail is shaken. There is an earthquake. The, the walls split apart, and the, um, all the prisoners have been listening to Paul and Silas worship, and at the very least, Paul and Silas could have gotten away. But it says when the jailer came in and saw that all the prisoners were still there, all the pri- so whatever happened in those moments of them worshiping and singing impacted the whole, the whole jail, however many were there. And so the, the jailer comes in and sees this, and it ends up he and his whole family come to faith in Jesus. He and his whole family get saved because of this. And, and so the comfort of God in our lives is a key part of our evangelism. Comfort of God in our lives is a key part of impacting our world. really is. I mean, if, if I just react to difficulty and pain and abuse the same way any other person in the world would, well, how's that make me any different? You know, what people are looking for is someone that is attached to something beyond this world, and that because of that, they have the ability to live above the pain of this world. They can live with comfort and joy and peace, even when they're facing hardship. If, if, if these other prisoners had a chance to escape, that's what kept them there. They, they, maybe they just wanted to say, hey, I'm not leaving here. I got to talk to these guys. And then the, the jailer and his whole family come to faith in Jesus. And then our, our last um, point is this. He emboldens us. He emboldens us. In Acts 4.29, uh, th- this Peter and John are, are ministering and they are arrested, taken before the high priest. And the high priest basically order them, on, threaten their lives and say, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And so what do they do when they go back to their friends? It says this. They go back to their friends, and and he says, and now they're praying, and they say, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And then in verse 31, it says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So the Holy Spirit gives us boldness, okay? That's what I thought I had when I thought it was my job to fix other people. And when I thought it was my job to confront people with what they were doing wrong and tell them what they need, I thought that was boldness. That wasn't boldness. That, that was ignorance. That, that was because real boldness comes out of love. Real boldness, you, you know what, what overcomes fear? It's love. It's love. And so boldness comes out of love because love overcomes my fear of other people, my fear of disapproval, my fear of failure, my fear of what the other person's going to say, my fear of what the look they're going to have on their face. It overcomes all of that. And, and so then I just have this kind of innocence, the innocent boldness. There is just this innocent boldness that the Holy Spirit gives us where we're not, we don't have a lot of guile in our hearts. We're not angry at anybody. We're not, we're not going to carry uh, picketing signs that condemn people or anything like that. But we're going to be direct, but loving and kind and generous and gracious. 
and sweet-spirited in that boldness and directness. And so God gives us that. He gives us the ability just to be lovingly, generously, kindly, sweetly bold when we interact with other people. And that's a wonderful thing. That is a wonderful thing. That's, that's what it is to be a person in whom is no guile. That's what Jesus said about one guy named Nathaniel. Okay, so some action steps. Uh, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus, he comforts us, and he emboldens us. First action step is this. Invite Holy Spirit to show you more of Jesus. Simple. Holy Spirit, show us more of you. Show, show us more of Jesus, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our minds. Show us what it is to see in the spiritual side of things. And give us insight into who Jesus is. Man, any area of life you're struggling in, you just invite God to show you more of Jesus for that area of your life. Second thing, invite him to give you comfort in some specific area of life. Just invite him to comfort you. Maybe you've lost a family member. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe there's just anxiety and fear in your heart and and you don't know how to get free from it. Just say, Holy Spirit, comfort my heart. Comfort me, free me from this. And he'll do it. He's gracious. And third, in, invite him to embolden you. Invite him, invite him to give you so much love that you're not going to worry about what people think about you anymore. You're just going to focus on them and, and gentleness and kindness and mercy. You're just going to be bold. Just, just walk in boldness. Just an innocent-hearted boldness. And, and, and God's going to bless you as you open your hearts to him for this. So, Father God... Uh, we just ask you for all these things in each of our lives that you would enable us to walk in a consciousness of the Holy Spirit's presence and yielded to him. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the worship team's gonna come out now, but uh, before we receive our offering, I wanted to kind of give you a little report on the offering, okay? If you were here with us in, I think it was the first week of February, I talked about the church's finances in, in, in part of one of the messages. And um, at that time, I, I shared with you that we had, for the last few years, we had been um, operating on a deficit and that we knew that was going to happen. We were going through a big transition here as a church. We knew that was going to happen and that this year we have, we have exhausted that whole, um, that, that whole resource that we had, that emergency fund that we had. And so that this year we really needed to just live on the budget and we had a budget established that we believe was what God wanted us to do. And so I'm really happy to tell you this, that, uh, so far this year, our offerings are significantly higher than they were last year, somewhere in the range of 12 or 13% higher, which, uh, that's something to cheer about folks. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for do, doing such a great job of giving and trusting God. Uh, thank you for that. It's, it's so wonderful to be part of the whole thing because we're all part of this. Now, um, one, one thing I wanted to share, and, and I'm not even sure this is necessary. It might, have been, um, it, it might not even be something that will happen this year. But what happens in most churches is this. You start off in January, 
I'm going to start over here. You start off in January, and the, the giving's pretty good. And you go into February, and it's, it's stable. And uh, March usually goes up a little bit. And Christmas stuff is paid for, and it goes up a little bit. April, maybe it's a little bit more. And then May, it comes down some. And then in June, here's what happens. <laughs> and then June, July, August. And then everyone comes back to church slowly in September. And so it comes up, comes up, comes up in September. Maybe it's back to normal then. And then it goes a little more. And then usually in December, it has a spike at the end of the year, which is thank God for that. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, we've learned to trust God with the finances here. I, want, I just do want to tell you that. But um, how about this? Wouldn't it be sweet if everybody that gave in March continued to give that same way in June, July, and August. Wouldn't that be sweet? Whether I'm off on vacation in New Mexico or Maine or, or I'm, or I'm uh, going to visit family in Michigan, I'm gone for a couple of weeks. What if everybody said, hey, listen, that has nothing to do with my giving, whether I'm there or not. I'm not giving just because I'm sitting in a seat. I'm giving because I'm tied into this mission. I'm tied into the vision of this church, and I want to see it advance. And it's my family, and it's my church. And so I'm going to figure out that app. Okay. That's specifically for the people over, say, 50, okay? I'm going to figure that out. You find some kid to help you, okay? Any, anybody under 30 will show you how to use it. And doggone it, I'm going to give. And, 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 I'm going to, and I'm going to do it whether I'm here or not. Man, I want to tell you, that'll propel us ahead. Right now, with the increase we've had, we're going to make our budget. We're on target to make our budget. And that's wonderful. That, that is wonderful. But really, to launch ahead, and you know our vision is to be a church that welcomes heaven to earth. We're, we have to talk more about that, and we will. But uh, our mission is to raise up world-changing kingdom leaders. And I'm telling you, that's happening here. I'm telling you, in 10 years, in 20 years, people are going to look back to this small church and they're going to say, that's incredible. Look at the people out in the world who are changing the world because they got saved here. They grew up as leaders here and they were sent out into the world. They were launched out off of this launching pad. And so we're going to be a leadership launching pad. Yeah, that's awesome. And so uh, first we give just because it's all Jesus, all belongs to him. Second, I get excited about giving when I know I'm really tied into the mission and the vision. And and so that's what I leave with you. Um, Let's all just be conscious of that throughout this summer, okay? All right, awesome blessings. And um, okay, take up the offering now. I almost forgot. (laughs) So take, grab the basket. We're gonna go a little bit late today. Um... I was at a conference this week, and so I came back all fired up. Yeah. So we're going to receive the offering, and the worship team's just going to lead us into worship. And so let's, let's welcome Holy Spirit, come. We just welcome your presence here. Thank you, in Jesus' name.
incredible death. You know, that means like cardiac arrest. That's what that means. Like stopped dead, stopped dead in its tracks. So there's life. There's life. It's not just enough that death's ended, but Jesus pours out life. He rose from the dead, and we walk in new life. So just give it up for Jesus one more time, okay? It's right now. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. All right, so um, someone here, I think many people here, you, you've had promises given to you by God in the past. You haven't seen them fulfilled, and, and he wants to renew that promise in your heart today. And so it might be something from 30, 40 years ago, but he wants to renew that promise, and he wants to give you a deposit of faith to begin to walk in the fulfillment of that promise. So we're going to be praying up here at the front in just a few minutes, and, and I invite you, especially if that speaks to you, to come up and get prayer for that. And uh, just this release of faith is good for anybody that wants it. And so, some of us have fallen into the lie that we're broken and that we are just powerless. We're powerless, broken and powerless. If you know Jesus, he fixed you. He changed you. He, made, he, didn't, he didn't repair the old thing. He made you a totally new thing. And so we want to pray for you to begin to walk in that and, and break the lie, break that lie off. Now, um, a few, few words uh, just about healing. Someone in the bottom of their foot or heel pain, arthritis in the hands and wrists, digestive problems, uh, problems with the ear canal and infections, and then uh, balance problems. Uh, these are all kind of related, but uh, these are all things we believe God wants to heal today. Any physical needs you have, we want to pray for you, okay? So uh, we're, prayer team, make your way down, please. And we don't want to puff up the worship team. It's not about them. But I appreciate the fact that they practice hard and then they come in here and they don't rely upon their skills, but they just let the Holy Spirit flow. And so let's just say thank you to them for that, okay? All right, it's so awesome to see you all here today. Uh, We'll see you next week.